Welcome to the Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin by praying. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that he was willing to go to the cross. We were the guilty ones. He was perfect. And yet he took on all of our sins on the cross so that we may live. And we thank you, Father, that by simply believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are forgiven of all our sins. You move us from death into life. Give us eternal life. We thank you also, Father, for your word, which sustains us and challenges us. Thank you for the body of Christ that you've gathered around us. I ask this morning that the Holy Spirit would guide and direct everything that will go on here today in honor of you and glory to you. We thank you for all these things in Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's now stand and sing a congregation song to get started. couple of announcements as we get started this morning. First of all, we'll have the Lord's Supper next Sunday, March 3rd, first Sunday of March. I want to give you a brief update on Linda. I know we've, you, a lot of you have been praying for her. She's doing much, much better. She's really recovering well. She thanks everybody for their prayers, and she thanks them for the flowers we sent, too. So, All right, let's, let's begin now. The title of today's message is Reaping Eternal Life. Reaping Eternal Life. We have been stepping through this relationship, this opportunity to have the relationship with eternal life itself in this life. We began not too long ago with the definition of eternal life. Please turn to John chapter 17, verse 3. Just by way of reminder, of course, we're studying in chapter 17 now. We've paused here at verses 2 and 3 to... Learn about eternal life in time. Learn about eternal life now. And what, it, what is said about it, particularly in the epistles, as well as what we have in the Gospel of John. We will, of course, be moving on soon to the rest of this amazing chapter, which is our Lord's prayer on behalf of himself, the disciples that were in front of him that evening, and then every believer in Christ. And so, but today we're going to, I think we're going to finish up this little series on our relationship with eternal life in this life. We've seen that Jesus Christ defined eternal life. He said this, this is eternal life, verse 3, that they, that's us, the disciples and us, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may come to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We will be coming to know the only true God in Jesus Christ for all of eternity. But yet we can start here in time. I mean, the one way to think of this is that we have a gift and it's a seed. And it'll come to full flower, right, when we're face to face with the Lord. But in this life, that can grow. And it's just think it's as simple as saying, can we grow in our understanding and intimacy with Jesus Christ in this life? Yes, we can. And therefore, we can grow in eternal life. Because that's what this says, right? Eternal life is simply that we may know, come to know the only true God, to know all about him. You know, he said, let not a mighty man boast of his might, or a rich man boast in his riches, or a wise man boast in his wisdom. But boast in this, that you understand and know the Lord, 
that he is, a, he is a God of grace and mercy and righteousness. That's, the, that's what we can do. And so we can come to know the only true God now in time. We can come to know Jesus Christ as Paul desired to do. In Philippians chapter 3, after having been saved for a long time, he's, he's still praying and asking and saying that this is his goal, that he may come to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection and to be conformed to his death and the fellowship of his suffering so that they may, so he may attain to that resurrection life in time, the eternal life in time. Though so we learned that definition and then we moved on and we saw that not only is that the definition, but we have it now. This is the, this is the great thing I'm repeating, but I want, I want us to just get started to understand that there's a whole progression laid out for us in the scriptures on our relationship with eternal life. We know what it is. We, we, know, we find out that we have it now. And not only that, recall that we've seen that it's something we can live in now. Not only a possession, but it's a life now in time. Or as we've seen in the words of 1 Timothy 6.12, we can take hold of it here in time. And so that's, that's what we've seen so far. We've seen what it is, the fact that we have it now, the fact that we can take hold of it now. But today, we're going to take the next step, really the final step in this series. Today, we're going to learn how to reap eternal life, to reap it. So you take hold of it, and then there's a period of time, and then we reap it. And so we're going to look at what reaping means. You know, that's not a word we use so much commonly today, but basically it means you plant and then you water and feed and, and take care of, and then eventually it, it blossoms, whether it's fruit or wheat. And then we, we, we take that, and reaping is when we actually take hold of the fruit, the production, the results of having this life that we've lived. But we're also going to learn that we can do that in time also. So there's this whole progression from having it and knowing what it is to being able to take hold of it, to live in it, and to reap it. And that, my friends, is a description of our life after we come to Christ as God has laid it out for us. And, of course, our calling is to learn about it, know more about it, understand it, then understand what we're called to do in order to live this life and then what, what we're called to do in persisting so that we may get to the reaping part of this. And we're going to see what that reaping is all about. So today we're going to learn how to do this. We're going to learn how to reap eternal life because this is also in the, in the scriptures. It's in the book of Galatians, which we're going to look at in just a minute. We saw that, remember, we can grow in the knowledge of God, right? So we, we have it, we take hold of it, we grow. We can grow in our capacity, in other words, to live in eternal life now, in time. It's a growth situation. It's what Paul was talking about in the book of, of Ephesians, that we can grow. And a big way that we begin the growing is by what we're doing here this morning and hearing the word to God together. You know, this isn't our focus this week, but we grow together. As a matter of fact, it's not possible to grow in the full sense that, he's, that Jesus means for us here, except together. Why? Because we're members one of the other. And we're going to see today that the fruit is actually a fruit that develops in community. It develops in our relationships with one another. We come to know and have a relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and then we come to know and have a deeper relationship with one another. And we're going to see what the key to that is, and the outcome of that is the fruit. So we can grow in our capacity to live an eternal life now in time. To borrow, again, a terminology from gardening, we have the vine. Jesus talks about the vine in chapter 15. Okay, and he's going to talk about the fact that he's the vine, where are the branches? So you know, we have that picture now of growth and of fruit. And he's saying that's the relationship that Jesus has with us. And then we're going to see this morning exactly what that fruit is. So we have an ability now. We have an eternal life that has been planted in us. This life is, is in Christ. Okay, this life is in Christ. We're planted together in Christ. Okay, but not only that, this Jesus Christ is that life. I mean, he said in chapter 11 to Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, in him was life. In him was life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Okay, so we, that's the life we're talking about. It's the life in Christ. It's the life that in the book of Colossians chapter 3 is spoken of. It's the fact that we've died, all right? And our life, our real life, our true life, life indeed, is hidden with Christ in God. And we're supposed to set our minds, therefore, on the things above where Christ is. All of that is talking about the same life. So very simply, we can think about the fact that Christ is absolute life, and we, have, we, are the, we are the branches, and we have a share in that life. And the amazing thing is, even though we're just a branch, branch's job really is only to have life pour through it and then produce fruit at the other end. And that's really who we are. That's really who we are. And that's what it means by reaping. We're going to see that this morning. So please, please turn now to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. In my studies this week, I reintroduced myself to the amazing connections between the Gospel of John and the letter of 1 John. And it's to the point now where the way my mind is working right now, it's like I don't know where the Gospel of John ends and the letter of 1 John begins because they complement each other so perfectly. And so whether I'm, this life that is talked about in the Gospel of John it continues. John's focus in the first John is to teach and let us know and be sure that we have it, eternal life. That we have passed from death into life. So it just picks right up. You know, it's in a very simple way. The Gospel of John, at the end, John says, here's the point. These things have been written so that you may know that Jesus Christ is, 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 Jesus is the Christ and that you may believe in him and believing have life in his name, eternal life. So that's John. John's saying if you believe, you'll have this in a very simple way. Obviously, so much more. We've been spending, we spent two years on this gospel. But if you want to look at it from just the point of view of purpose, purpose of the gospel of John ultimately is to have people see and learn who Christ is Understand that he's their, your Savior and the Messiah and God in the flesh and believe in him. And by that, by believing, you have eternal life. Then we have the letter of 1 John. 
And what he's done, he's doing it in the context, by the way, of false teaching that's trying to, trying to tell them that they don't have eternal life unless they follow the false teachers. So John's coming back. And that's so, so human to understand that well, we're in the same boat. You know, I mean, we, we can study the Gospel of John or indeed any passage of Scripture and master it and for that moment be sure, okay? But then, but then we have the messaging from the world, the messaging from false teachers, our own doubts, our own weaknesses, our, our own disappointments in ourselves, our, our, our tendency to have guilt and shame, our tendency to wander away, even though we're saved. And so a letter of First John is for that kind of situation. It's, it's for, you, for us to come back to simplicity, to know that, that, that eternal life is in Christ and came upon and was manifested and John and the other apostles saw him, touched him, and then... Then, then the whole point of that whole letter is at the end that you may know that you may have eternal life. Okay, you may know it. Come to know it. Be reminded again. Understand what that life consists of. So today we're going to be more in the letter of First John, even in the Gospel of John. Okay, but in any event, let's with that as an introduction. Let's read it now. First John chapter five, verse eleven. And the testimony is this. That God has given us eternal life. And notice this, though. This life is in his son. So, it's, so everything about our lives, everything about eternal life, everything about all the good gifts, everything about the growth that is possible is all in Christ. And isn't that a simple, simple thing that we think about? But the, but the challenge is, I've said this so often, is to live that way. To not, only you, to not only see and marvel at what it means to be in Christ, what's in Christ, all the riches and treasures and wisdom are hidden in Christ. All of that. In Christ, he is our righteousness. In Christ, we have eternal life. In Christ, we, have, we know that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right? Where? In Christ. But guess what? We are in Christ and we always will be. A lot, a lot of the Christian way of life is to try to break through all of the darkness and clouds of our life and our in this world to the simplicity of devotion to Christ. And to keep a lot of what the Word of God is doing is we get together and hear it together is to bring us there again. Just the simplicity of devotion to who Jesus Christ is. And and that's what are we saying? Well, that's the definition of eternal life, after all to come to know the one true God and to come to know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And isn't that simple? And here's the other thing. What did God do in order for us to truly understand who he is? And the answer is, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is the only son of God. Jesus Christ is the flashing forth of God. So even when it comes, the definition, the part of the definition that says that we may come to know the one true God, even that actually goes to the, to the heart of who Jesus Christ is. Remember, he said to the disciples that very evening, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still have not come to know me? He who has seen me, listen to this, has seen the Father. He who knows me knows the Father. So in a marvelous way, there's that simplicity. If we want to understand what it means to have eternal life, 
go to Christ. Understand that we get to know the Father and we get to know him, and that's eternal life. If we want to understand how to take hold of eternal life, then we look at who Jesus is and take hold of the things that he is and are pleasing to him. If we want to reap eternal life, we go to the source, Jesus Christ. He's the source of life. He's the source of everything good. He has given us the spirit. He has given us his word. And we can live this life and then reap it in time. So we have been, we have eternal life. Verse 11, the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. What's the news? This life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. Notice, not only do we know we have eternal life, but we know where that eternal life is and why we have it. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. Again, I want to say something I said recently. A real simple definition of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is somebody who has eternal life. That's one simple definition of a Christian. That's pretty much what we have here in verse 12. He who has the Son, believer, has the life, eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's as clear as darkness and light. He who has the Son, light, the light of life. He who doesn't, does not have the life. And then verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, then you may know that you have eternal life. So, so think of it. God, through the writings of John, has given us an entire letter for this very simple reason, not only that we have eternal life, that we, but that we know it. And you might say, isn't that simple? I mean, haven't, didn't we already get that when we were in the Gospel of John? I mean, if there's one thing that we've heard over and over again in the Gospel of John is that he who believes has eternal life. So you might wonder, why now, after all of that, would we then, for, for believers, have this other letter that's written that we may know we have eternal life? And the answer to that question is we've seen people, lots and lots of Christians have eternal life. In fact, all Christians have eternal life. But many don't know it in the sense of they, don't, they, don't, they haven't taken hold of it. They don't know what it means to live in it. They don't have any assurance that they won't lose it. And that's really what the letter to 1 John is all about. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know, that you may come to know, that you may be certain, that you may understand that you have it and you have an opportunity to live in it. But when we believed in Christ, again, we received eternal life as a possession. Or just thinking of it this way, we were planted into Christ forever. Romans 6 says that. And oh, by the way, in Romans 6, it says we've been planted together in Christ. There's that body, body life. Keep that in mind. We are, he doesn't say he is the vine and we're the branch. What does he say? I am the vine, you are the branches. Right? That's not proper pronunciation, but to emphasize we are one vine. We are in one vine, and we are all branches of that vine. He is the vine, and we are the branches. We've been planted. But what's the purpose? Now, he's given us this great illustration in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, about the vine and the branches. And boy, what a great truth that is. We are in Christ. He is life. 
He who has the Son has the life. And it's a wonderful thing just to simply understand that we are in that kind of deep connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, as deep as, as a branch in a vine. And if you look at a, a, a vine or a grapevine in a vineyard, you can't tell where the vine leaves off and the branch begins. Can you? It's all one and the same thing. That's what it means to be in Christ. He, John tells us in John chapter 17, Jesus Christ says, Father, that we may all be one that you and I and I and them, to be perfected in unity, unity, unity. So we have been planted together in Christ. He's the vine. We are the branches. What's the purpose of a branch? I mean, I mean, we're going to a vineyard. We're going to have a great time. We're going to spend a weekend there. And we're going to look at some branches. We're going to say, yep, that's a branch. And we're going to leave. Boy, I, I've had every experience I need to have in that vineyard, because I've seen some branches today. Why do you go to a vineyard? To see branches? To see fruit? To see grapes? Yeah, the purpose of the branches on a vine is very simple, to bear fruit. Our life in Christ is very simple. There's a purpose, and that purpose is to bear fruit. And the Gospel of John and the letter of 1 John talk about the fact that all of that is, has it to do with the new life that we have. We are a new creation. We have a new life. A new life that nobody has until they believe in Christ. And when we think about bearing fruit, it all comes down to that life pouring through us. That's really, and it's really that simple. Why? Because his yoke is easy. It's not like we have to do all kinds of things, even as a branch. After all, what does a branch do? That's it, right? Does it walk around? Does it brag? Does it say, I'm going to go to the mountaintop today? Right? No. I'm going to have a heavy revelation today? No. I'm going to start a movement? No. It just abides in the vine and eventually bears fruit. That's us. That's the simplicity of devotion to Christ. That's abiding in his love. That's having his word abide in us. That's life itself pouring through us. And that's eternal life. That's a, that's a life that never ends. That's a perfect life. That's the life that Jesus Christ in his humanity lives perfectly now in heaven. And we have an opportunity to have that pour through us. He is the vine. We are the branches. And the purpose of the branches is very simple. To bear fruit. Or as we'll see Paul, he'll put it this way this morning when we get there. The goal is to reap eternal life. You take hold of it, and then eventually you reap it. In the same way that, there, that we've been, a, a branch is planted into the vine, and then there's this life, and then it takes hold of and abides in that vine, and then eventually it bears fruit, and then it reaps. So we can reap eternal life. We can do that also now in time. But, of course, in order to reap eternal life, as we've already seen in 1 Timothy 6, we must first take hold of it. Before we can reap it, we must take hold of it. Before the branch can bear fruit, it must first stay on the vine. Before the, and so that's, that's all we do, in a sense. We take hold of it, and then the vine, Jesus Christ, produces the fruit by having his life through us. 
And at the other end of that, we reap eternal life in time. But again, we first must take hold of it. That's why we were in 1 Timothy chapter 6 last week. Let's go there now. Let's just finish off that. Right? What does it mean to take hold of eternal life? And then we'll move into today's question, which is, how do we live and reap eternal life? Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're just going to look at verse 12 to begin. Look at verse 12, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, I want you, what kind of, we're told to fight. What kind of a fight are we in? Just, again, I'm a simple guy. If you look at the scripture, you'll see it there. Huh? A good one. And what does it consist of? Fight the good fight of faith. Yeah. So in other words, the idea, going back to the imagery of the vine and the branches, you see, the faith just means that, like Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's not about me anymore. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life, the very life that we live, we live by faith in the Son of God. So the very idea that we're going to be planted and then bear fruit, our job, if you want to call it that, is the same job, if you want to call it that. It's not works at all. It's our only, it's, our, it's the way in which God has established this so that we believe in Christ and we're planted in him and we have eternal life. But then every day, I mean, Paul said, now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. The good fight is a fight of faith. It's persevering in faith. It's when you wake up in the morning and you're, 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 you're in pain or you're, you're having a difficulty and you're getting bombarded, as you will, with the thoughts that are going to try to take you away from what you know is true. And you just simply, the simplicity of just hanging in there. And there was a man one time when he realized who Jesus Christ was and he believed in him. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then he followed it on. Help my unbelief. And doesn't that ring true? Isn't that true to life? I mean, it is. We like to think, oh, my faith, I'll never lose it. And it's perfect. I never have any doubts. Well, you show me a Christian who's being honest, who's never had any doubts. Let me tell you something. I have doubts every day of my life. I shouldn't say I have them. I get bombarded with them, right? Because our flesh doesn't want us to have faith. The world doesn't want us to have faith in Christ. God knows that, that the, the demons and the principalities and powers don't want us to have faith. All they're trying to do, literally, all the, what the world is trying to do is to keep shaking the branch, hoping it's going to knock off, and, and then the fruit, if there's any there, will drop off. So that's the fight. You know, we, we want to, like, we like to think that.
Well, I, I just found out that all of the people on, on the Internet this morning um, who are, have no doubts, they've been able to hear me for the last two minutes. No, we had a battery problem, but we're, we're, that has been solved, I think. Yep, got the green. So again, our fight is a fight of faith. And again, our battle is not against people. I mean, that's our instinct. Our instinct is, oh, we've got to fight. Good, let's go. I want to bash somebody's head in. <laughs> or I want to I tell somebody off. I want to tell them how wicked they are because they don't believe in Christ. You know, that's the fight we want to fight sometimes. That's not our fight. We don't, we're not entered into that fight. We're entered into a fight against the principalities and powers, the world forces of this darkness. And, as a, and the fact of the matter is, is that in and of ourselves, it's impossible to fight that fight. That's why it's a fight what, of faith. Because it's by the, by the full armor of God that the fight is won. It's not our armor. And we're, what, are we, what are we there to do? Have faith. Have faith in the Son of God. Have faith in the gospel. Have faith in the word of God. Have faith that the promises are real. I'm hearing like a... Is that like... Are you guys hearing that too? Or is that just me? I don't know. Is it back there? Come on. It's a bird? Hey, Aaron, shoot that bird, will you? It's really bothering me. <laughs> yeah, right. That's all right. I thought, it was, I thought it was feedback that was bothering you guys. If it's not, then I'm, I won't talk about it. So, yeah, so we fight the good fight of faith. It's a fight of faith, and that's how we take hold of eternal life. It's how we grow in our capacity to live this eternal life. And that is a day-by-day, season-by-season, year-by-year thing. I mean, and, and, and what does that take? Well, it takes perseverance. That's what it takes. It takes hanging in there day by day, season by season. You had a victory of faith yesterday, but this morning you wake up and it's a whole, it's a whole new day where perhaps you're getting hit with the temptations of the flesh. You're, there's a message that's somehow gotten into your soul that's interfering with you just resting in Christ. It's a fight of faith. Every day, season by season, you may have a season of joy. You may have a season of blessing. But then, then, there's, then there's another season that you have to enter into from time to time. Season of pain or a season of fear or a season of regrets. A, a, a season where your life churns in this way that you never expected it to. And yet, we're called to do the same thing. Live the fight of faith. We actually grow more under adversity than we do under prosperity. And I think you understand what that means, most of us. So it's a season by season, year by year thing. In the same way that the growth of a vine is a day by day thing, a season by season thing, a year by year thing. I don't know anything about vines other than what I read but apparently, like, you, can't, you don't want to harvest the grapes the, even the first year. That's not going to make good wine. It's only by like the third year, I think. All right? So this is not instant anything. 
This is not, I hear this once and I believe it. Man, that's good. I've had this victory. No, it's day by day, day by day struggle, not against people, but against the, the world forces of this darkness, the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're outmanned and outgunned by ourselves, and yet we're not to be afraid. We're not to be afraid because of what we believe and who we believe. We're never going to be able to fight that fight. God's going to fight that fight. The, our, the angels, you know, we, we have angels fighting for us. And so our job is just to rest in all those things. Yeah, I'm going to have this fight. It's got to be a fight. And, and my flesh is going to do battle against me. The spirit's going to have to fight the flesh. I can't. All right. Um, I've spent many years of my life. I guess because of my arrogance on the one hand and my desire to please God on the other, trying to beat my flesh. Well, it hasn't happened yet. I'll let you know if it does. But I actually 100% convinced that it won't because only the Spirit can defeat the flesh. Only, only the Spirit. Paul had that unfortunate experience in chapter 7 of the book of Romans where he said, you know, the things that I want to do I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. I am a wretched person. That's what he said. You can read it in Romans 7, chapter, chapter, Romans chapter 7. He's a wretched person. And then finally, in that sort of that desperation, and this will always be where you end up if you think you can take on your flesh yourself. You'll end up in desperation. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to say, I'm going to fight these thoughts that I'm having. That's, again, that's our in- instinct, right? I don't want to have those thoughts. I'm going to fight it. I-, I, have, I have this area of weakness, and I'm just going to conquer it myself. And that's, a, that's, a, that's our biggest mistake. That's where, what happens when we do that? We end up in wretchedness, meaning, ah, oh, the very thing I set out to do is the very thing I can't do. And then, but what is, but then always, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, and therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because the power and the authority of the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of the life of Christ, has set us free from the law of sin and death. Him, the Spirit, Word of God. Simple. We just have a lot of these tendencies that go against that. So it's a day by day, season by season, year by year. It's why we're here. It's why we're here. We're here to face the adversities of life. We're here to face the storms. We're here to bask in the sunshine of the love of God. And day by day, week by week, year by year, in ways that are often imperceptible, that we can't even see we're growing in Christ together as a body. That's the, that's the life. It's not flashy. Again, it's not the kind of thing that you're going to have one great victory and get up and, and, and give your bragamony, and everyone's going to say, wow, what a great Christian. <laughs> no. There, you know, that even Paul said, I, I am not going to pass judgment on myself. All right? I, the day will come when he'll pass judgment. 
And hopefully he'll say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Have you ever heard that expression, that if you were the only person on earth, Jesus Christ would have come and died just for you? Okay. So if that, if that was his attitude, then why are we all concerned about numbers? Why do we think that we're not succeeding as a church unless we get more and more people? Why do we think that? Isn't it enough? I think about this in my own calling. Isn't it enough that I've reached through the preaching of the word of God one person? That my life has, some, has meaning now? Because God said, listen, to me, he says, listen, I don't think you're really capable of having a thousand-person congregation, John. But I'll tell you what you are capable of. The few, perhaps, that I bring to you, you are capable of doing what my will is to preach the word in season and out of season. And then watch me, God, through their cooperation and faith, grow them into an oak of righteousness. And maybe it's just a few. But shouldn't I be satisfied? If Jesus would have come just for me, shouldn't I be satisfied that he's given me the privilege of preaching to anybody and that somebody will hear the gospel and be saved because of you two out there? They may never come here. I mean, we'd love to meet them. We'd love to have more people. But we just need to rest and relax that it's God's work. He has brought into our lives all the people that he wants us to minister to. He's not asking us to recruit. All right? Now, you know, you might say, well, Pastor Bali, I thought you said that you wanted me to bring people to church. Of course I do. Of course I do. I want people, I want the, the plants out there to be watered and, and have nutrients. But I have to be satisfied. We have to rest in exactly the life that the Lord has planted us into. Exactly the body. Exactly the ministry. It's his ministry. All right. So, we grow day by day, season by season. We develop character. Romans 5 says, how do we develop character? How do we develop character? I want to be a person of character. Now, I want you to think about how you might answer that. Okay? And how, let's think about how the world answers that. How do you become a person of character? according to how the world works. Well, you do it. You have to develop your own character. You know, you have to, you have to focus on all your faults and, and overcome them. That's what the world says. That's what our flesh says. That's not what God says. You know what God says? Romans 5. You develop character by just going through adversity and hanging in there. That's what he says. Adversity develops perseverance. That's how you develop character. Going through some terrible things and hanging in there in faith. That's how you do it, according to God anyway. And then you have proven character. And you know the great thing about having that proven character? Just read Romans 5. You get hope. That's how you get hope. You don't get hope by sitting around saying, I hope I get this, I hope I get that. You don't produce hope. God gives it to you. And the process that he's, that he's using is to put us through adverse circumstances, give us the faith to hang in there, develop our character, and then we have, we have hope 
on the basis of that character that God has developed in us. All right. So that's the deal. We develop character through persevering in adversity. And that's a daily thing. It's not flashy. It's something that God's doing in us. He who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. If we do that, that's called walking by means of the Spirit. If we live that life, that's how we grow. And then finally, if we keep doing that, if we don't get tired of doing that, that's when we reap. That's when, as it were, the branch produces fruit. We walk by means of the Spirit, and then eventually the Spirit actually produces his fruit in us. And that's today's message in a nutshell. So if I don't get through anything else today, for whatever reason, if a truck gets louder or the microphone dies again, or the bird just shrieks in my ear so that I can't think, then you've got it, okay? But let's get into it, all right? We have eternal life. We can also take hold of it. We saw last week how to do it. Again, back to 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 11 this time. Flee from these things, you men of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. How do we do that? By fighting the good fight of faith. When it says pursuing righteousness, that simply means having that desire and believing what God has said and then trusting in him as we live our lives. But it is a pursuit It is how we live our days, and that's how we take hold of eternal life. Notice the first thing. The first thing is to flee from anything that's the opposite of taking hold of eternal life. By the way, flee is not the same as fight, right? There's fight and flee. So we flee from the bad stuff. Anything that's taken away, that's why we put away the old man. We basically just say, you know what? I've been hearing all this stuff that the principalities and powers are bombarding me with. I know I have these areas of weakness, my flesh. Man, if I just pay attention, if I spend time dwelling on those things, I'm going to fall right over into those things. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn the other way. I'm going to run the other way. And that's automatically, I mean, if you think about it, in very simple terms, okay, here's the beast, okay, and you know you'll be devoured if you keep standing there looking at it. But then you turn around and you run in the other direction. Now, what's drawing you is the other direction. And you automatically run away from the beast if you're running toward the right things. That's what he's talking about. But you do have to realize that it's running away from things first. Paul calls them youthful lusts. He calls it wrangling about words. These are the kind of things, if you hang in there, if you dwell in those things, that's the opposite of living an eternal life. You know, that's why it's so dangerous. People say, let's have a debate, an argument about the meaning of the word faith in the Bible. Right. And believe me, I've engaged in these. Let's go after the five point Calvinists. And I do that. But if we're all we're doing is fighting, we're not doing these things. We're not taking hold of eternal life. That's not the purpose of any of that. But then also flee from the love of money. We flee. And then we pursue the things that make up this life, this eternal life in time. And what things are they? Notice again. Pursue righteousness. That means to have your desire, to have your life become what it is God has declared you to be in his eyes already. 
He says, look, I've declared you righteous. I did that the moment I, you believed in my son. You've implanted in my son. He is righteousness. But now what I want you to do is live a life with that. Righteousness bears fruit. Where in a very simple way, by continuing to live in the, in the way in which, you know, the right way to live, if I could put it really simply, righteousness, now you're going to bear fruit. Okay? And that fruit's going to be for other people. It's not going to be for yourself. Godliness. Faith. We pursue faith. Love. These are all, by the way, things we're going to see also. Not only do we pursue them, but they're going to turn out to be what the fruit is itself. Perseverance, there it is again. Gentleness. Or very simply, pursue the things that contribute to living in eternal life. Pursue the things that are living eternal life and time, contributing to that. Right? In other words, all those things, righteousness, pursuing that, living in that, contributes to living in eternal life. Same thing with godliness, faith, love, perseverance, gentleness. We pursue the things that are pleasing to God. We strive to imitate his character. Coming to know God, remember, is more than just information. It's having a deeper and deeper intimate relationship with him. We're told that, that what we're doing is we're, we're being conformed what? To the image and likeness of Christ. That means we're in the ways in which human beings can imitate God's essence. That's what we're developing. That's what we're striving for. Is God righteous? You bet he is. Can we pursue righteousness? Yes, we can. We can, in that sense, be imitators of God himself. Or as we saw in the Gospels last week, become perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Right? Can't, but that's impossible. Yeah, but you, that can happen by means of the Spirit now that you have the Spirit in you. These qualities, in other words, fit us for the life in which God has called us to live. Pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So, the question is, how do we take hold of eternal life on earth, during our lives, again, real simple. Pursue the things that are pleasing to God. Now, what, I, what is important about this is the fact that you can't pursue something if you don't know what it is, right? If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. You first have to know what? If you're going to pursue the things that are pleasing to God, what's the first thing you've got to know? What pleases him? Right, right. What pleases him? Okay, so that's a process. Okay, right there. But then we pursue it. It's not enough to know without faith it's impossible to please God if you don't have faith. No, you have to now take that and pursue that. That's what it means to take hold of eternal life during our lives on earth. Because these things fit us for living. These things equip us for living. The life God has called each and every one of us to live. Remember, each and every one of us is called. We all have our our gifts that God has given us. We all have a ministry that God has placed us in. We all have fruit that he's desired us to produce. And your calling is not the same as mine. Okay? For the very simple, and nobody else is in this sense. Nobody else has been put in the same place on planet Earth as you have been. Nobody else sits in your seat 
on Monday morning, wherever that is. You have a unique group of people that God has brought to you and basically said, please minister to these people. That's not the, those are not the same people as I have. So, and, and, and the gifts that we have are different. Our resources are different. Therefore, the de- destination in time is different in the sense of in terms of the kind of fruit that we're going to bear. So we're to live the life he's called us to live. You know, and that's a lesson too. You know, we always, often in our humanity and our flesh, always comparing ourselves to other people or wishing you we were living their life. Or even worse, we turn that against ourselves and say, why am I not living that life? Well, you know the real answer to that, really, is because that's not the life God has given you to live. Period. So now let's live the life he has. Rather than saying to myself, you know, someday I want to go to Africa and I want to just preach the gospel and I want to live in a tent. Okay, well, great. But here's the thing. Are you there today? Are you in Africa today? Has anybody given you a ticket to, to Africa? Has anybody said, here's what, I've got a job for you in Africa? Well, you know why that isn't the case? Because maybe that's not what God is calling you to. But don't sit there saying, I want to preach in Africa if you're not preaching in the United States. You're not, if you're not preaching in the city or town that you live in, or the people that are right around you every day, you know, if you're not faithful in a little thing, how is God going to give you a big thing? Or maybe he never is going to. Maybe that your whole purpose in life, getting him back, he would have come for one of us. Maybe your purpose in life is to reach one person. Because not everybody has the same calling. Not everybody has the same capacity. Not everybody has the same gift. We are just to rest and live the day-by-day life that he's put in front of us. Okay, so you remember our rich young man from last week? Some of you were here, probably most of you remember him. He's the one who one day went up to the Lord Jesus and said to him, what do I got to do to earn eternal life? And Jesus said, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. But then he wasn't satisfied with that, right? And he said, which ones? And the Lord answered, and he says, basically the commandments, the ones that having to do with other people. And, and the kid arrogantly says, I've kept all of those. And then he says, what's that expression? One other thing. (laughs) One other thing, he said. If you want to enter into life, if you want to be complete, sell all you have, give to the poor, and follow me. Okay? What was he saying? He was saying, he looked at that individual and saying, this guy, the big obstacle to him living in eternal life, which was the question he was asking, is his, is his desire for money. Is his coveting. And it's funny because when, most of us, when we see that passage, at least the first few times, say to ourselves, so I guess that's what he wants for me to. Maybe I'm not really a Christian unless I sell everything I have and give to the poor. But did he say that to you? He didn't. That was one person that he said that to. Not only that, if we're focused on that, which was specific to that time and that person, we're missing the most important part because that's going to be variable. The things he's going to ask, because he'll say later on, anybody who's given up homes or, or family members or businesses for my sake and the gospel's sake will inherit much more than that. 
what that means is variable. But you know what the constant is in all of that? Notice what he said. He said, I want you to sell all you have, give to the poor, and come. Follow me. That's universal, you see. That's what we're all called to do, is to follow him. Doesn't, now, we're not, he's not on earth. He was talking to that guy saying, do all that and then come on, be a part of this. Be a part of what I'm involved in, this, my ministry. He's not saying that to us. He's not here on earth. He's, but he is saying, come, be involved in the ministry I've given you now. Follow me in my righteousness and my gentleness. And that's what we take away. So, but this guy was in love with money. He was coveting. And the question, of course, I want to see was answered next is, whoops, what should a rich man do then to take hold of that which is life indeed? What should a rich man do to take hold of that which is life indeed? Well, that answer comes in a few verses later in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world by the way, this is a letter to us. It's actually a letter to the pastors, but this is in the church age. Notice what, he, notice what Paul tells Timothy to instruct the church. He says, listen, those, are those, those among you who are rich in this present world have the world's goods. He says, instruct those not to be conceited. Look at me. I got all this money. I'm a great Christian, right? No. Don't be conceited. Don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. There's a temptation for those who have a lot just to fix their hope on it, but rather on God. Notice this, who richly supplies all of us with all things to enjoy. By the way, you know, a lot of Christians will say, oh, I can't believe that you're blessed in that way. You should give it all away. Well, you say, yeah, isn't that what Jesus said to the rich man? Yeah, that man at that time. But what does he tell us to do with the things he supplied us with? I will ask you a question whose answer is in the same scripture. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to feel guilty about. But on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? He wants us to enjoy the blessings he's given us. After all, we're his children. I mean, he's seeing this world who couldn't care less about him. And they're all pursuing that stuff. And he's saying, don't pursue of it. Seek first my righteousness and I'll give you all those things. He enjoys giving us those things. We're his children after all. But, verse 18, then instruct them to do good. To be rich in good works. To be generous and ready to share. Storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that here we go again, they may take hold of that which is life indeed. How do we take hold of eternal life in time? Simple. Do good. Be rich in good works. Now, that expression, do good. It's so, here we go, simple again, right? You know, when Jesus was walking, around the, walking about in his ministry, that's what they said about him. The book of Acts says Jesus went about doing good. All right? So if we're imitating him, what are we doing? We're going about doing good. What's good? The way God defines it. But that's how we take hold of eternal life. So now we come to the climax. 
We have eternal life. We can take hold of it. But now the final question, how do we reap? How do we reap eternal life? Please turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Galatians 6, 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do that, then you'll enter into life. Let's end and take an offering today. Oh no, we want. I'm just. But here, here's the point. The point is, is that if you have God's priorities, right, then you'll use what you have to further His priorities. So don't focus here on the fact that wait a minute, He's saying. This guy over here, you should give. No, he's saying, look, take the good things that you have and share them. Share them in such a way that my, my, my priorities, the things that please me, are the things that this get more of. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, and Christians can do that, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, notice, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Where does it come from? The Spirit. We don't do it ourselves. But what we can do is sow to the Spirit. Well, what do we do for that? Verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. Doing good. There it is again. Isn't it simple? We have these profound things like taking hold of eternal life and reaping eternal life. But really, it all comes down to what? Doing good. Yeah, in other words, these lofty ideas, the way in which we reap those, that is by what we do with one another. Loving one another as Christ has loved us. That's how we do it. Right? It's not a mountaintop experience. It's a day by day where we, where we look around the people that he's given us, the people that we, that we like to be around, the people that we don't know how to deal with. We forgive, we love, we give. That's how we reap eternal life. Verse 10, so then, oh, let me, let me continue verse 9. Let us, let us not lose heart. There's that persistence in doing good day in and day out. For in due time, in this life, we will reap. If we do not grow weary. See, there's that perseverance. There's that abiding on the vine. There's that understanding that this is a life of faith. Day in and day out, God has given us all the resources we need not to grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, there it is, let us do good to all people. To all people. And especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So we reap eternal life. In the, in, the, in the big picture, by sowing to the Spirit. And how does this passage describe it? Sowing to the Spirit. Well, it's very simple. Get, do good works. But once again, as we saw also when it came to taking hold of eternal life, we get the opposite. What's the opposite 
of, of, of sowing to the Spirit and reaping eternal life. What's the opposite of that? Sowing to the flesh. See, we've been given time and we've been given the world's goods. In the United States, man, we're blessed more than, as a group now, as a more than 95% of the world. We've been given resources, time. We've been given talents, abilities. The question is, how are we going to use those things? How do we choose to use those things? And the fact is that we can spend our assets, as it were, our freedom, our time, our money, our talent, our abilities on our flesh. It's possible for Christians, and and it happens all the time. We all do it to a certain extent. If we take what God has given us and use it selfishly, sinfully even, that's we reap corruption from that. That's the opposite of eternal life. You know, that's, you know, they'll not get drunk with wine because that's dissipation. That's the opposite of life. That's life ebbing away, reaping corruption. However, if we take those same things, if we take our time and our money and our talents and our bodies, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, and we do that to do all of that to obey God's will, Okay, And I don't want you to think about God's will too narrowly now. God's will is what we've been talking about today. It's in your life, the people that are around you, the responsibilities you have, the gifts that you have, the calling that you have. If you're a parent, obeying God's will is to love your children and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When you're on the job, God's will is for you to do the best. Do it as unto the Lord. If you're married, same thing. Do it as unto the Lord. So obeying God's will is not simply supporting ministries. Again, you know, 90% of our time is going to be in a place where we may not be directly doing something that we think is for the Lord. Okay, but every prayer you pray is doing God's will. Every loving thing that you do for somebody else is doing God's will. It's not, it doesn't have to be some huge, splashy ministry. Okay? That's what we all think about. But if we do that, we reap eternal life. And here, we reap eternal life by continuing to do good to all people, especially believers. I'm going to have to end there this morning. Um, there, are, there are a few other passages. I'll have to figure out if we're going to take this up again next week or not. Um, but if we do, all right, you can read in advance. All right, we're going to look at the, um, the, the neighborhood of Galatians 6. We're going to look at Galatians 5. And then we're going to look at the, the, the passage in John 15 where Jesus talks about being the vine. Okay, so that's really where we're headed. If I get there or not, I'll have to make that decision during the week because there's just so much. And I, and I want to get, get into the rest of chapter um, 17 in the Gospel of John, so we'll see. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us eternal life and that you've given us the ability to take hold of it and to reap it. We thank you that you have planted planted us in Christ. He is our life. And that we have an opportunity every day 
by doing your will to have that eternal life flowing through us for the good of other people. And so we ask, Father, that you would show us ways in which you've called us to do that during the week. Help us to be paying attention when perhaps that just one person comes into our lives that's, that needs us in certain ways, that needs to know the truth. Maybe they're discouraged. Maybe they're depressed. Maybe they're confused. Maybe they're suicidal. Maybe they're unbelievers. We don't know, but we do know that you've equipped us. And we do know that by believing and turning to you and your resources, that you'll get the job done. So help us to be alert to those opportunities this week. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you on Thursday. We're in Isaiah 53. I hope many of you can make it. All right, you're dismissed. And you enjoy this beautiful day while it's still cool before the heat descends on us, spoken by a man who grew up in New England. But anyway, enjoy.